Hey, this is Keith from Segmetrics Data Beats Opinions podcast, and I'm here talking with Jane and Benedict today from UserList.io, and we're going to be talking about their super successful launch uh, and how they planned that out and how they structured that whole thing. And so, hey guys, welcome. Hello. Hey. hey. So you guys just launched UserList.io out of beta. Uh, you were number one on Product Hunt. And that was, I believe, August, what day was that? That, that Sixth, launched? August 6th. August 6th. So it's been about 20 days since you launched. Um, and I was watching the whole thing and it was like a whirlwind. Like I'm seeing user lists come in on Slack, on Facebook, on Twitter, on everything, on Product Hunt, everywhere I see is user list. What, what was that like? What was that uh, like to throw something out there and to get everyone just so excited about that? Well, it, it was exciting to see everyone talk about it and share it. And it was, I was happy that it actually worked that way because we, we really tried to make it that way, like uh, get that reaction and get it, get the word out in, in front of as many people as possible. So, and we were, I, I was quite happy that it worked out this way. Yeah. And you, this was not like an accident. You had planned, you had put a lot of thought and a plan into this as well. Um, you had written a blog post called Launch Strategy on the user list uh, blog that kind of detailed all this. When, when did you kind of feel, when did you start this whole process? I think it was a few months before that because setting a hard date is always, you know, intimidating. So we had this uh, go and no-go concept that we first outline what we want to do. And then when a few weeks before, beforehand, we just figured out, like, are we, are we coping? Are we doing it? Are we making it to the date? That's called a no-go date. Uh, so we were. And that's when we decided to set this blog post live and announce, practically announce the date of the launch. Wow. Very cool. And then... Was it was it helpful then? I mean, you have that no-go, so you have an option to, to stop and to quit if things aren't there. But putting that line in the sand of that deadline of, hey, we're going to launch on August 6th, was that helpful in getting everything ready? Or how did that kind of flow into things? Yeah, I think that was very helpful. Um, just having that deadline made it so much easier to just prioritize. Also in terms of product development, while the product was in a good state for quite a while already, there were still a few small things missing and just making that line and that setting that date made it easier just to prioritize the things that should go into, the, into development before that and stuff that's probably not important for the launch was rescheduled and stuff like that. So in, in that terms, it was super helpful just to finally commit and then make sure it's launched ready by that date. Yeah. And we still managed to pull uh, a few features that were not planned because there is always a temptation to make this improvement and that improvement, you know, like let's, let's do it. But thankfully the last week was pretty quiet in terms of product features uh, so that Benedict could focus on productivity. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and it wasn't testing. quiet. <laughs> <laughs> And testing and making sure everything goes right. And the, the worst thing you can do, I know when we had one launch, we found out that we had an extra space in our API key. 
And so we had all these people come in to sign up and no one could because the API key was bad. Oh, so, I know. That's yeah. <laughs> so that testing, that testing. Yeah. 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 I had stuff like this happen to me before where like similar stuff. Uh, we didn't switch the, the API key from test from the test key to the production key, but just like one of them. So all the signups would fail and all the credit cards. Yeah, oh. like, no, it doesn't work. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily this time, uh, I think we were. <laughs> And and this this is not your for your guys first rodeo. I mean, this is how many how many apps have you guys built in the past? I mean, not as a team, but just in general, because right? you guys have been doing this for a while. Uh, like I guess Bennett, let's start with Bennett. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the second app I'm launching by myself. Um, mm -hmm. I, I previously launched another product, wasn't that successful, but I, yeah. So what? I learned That's, a lesson or two, for example, yeah, exactly. the API keys. <laughs> Um, but I've been part of a couple of launches, uh, usually as a consultant. Uh, mm -hmm. Jane? As for me, it's it's also my second product. The uh, previous one, Tiny Reminder, uh, was also on Product Hunt. But before that, I've done maybe like, I think, uh, three or four launches for the books and courses. So mm -hmm. that also kind of helps to feel the dynamics of how it usually goes and not to have false expectations or like a rainbow unicorn <laughs> ideas yeah. about how it's supposed to go. Yeah. What, so what are some of the learnings, Jane, that you had from your previous launch or any of the other products that kind of fed into this? So one you stated was not having those expectations um, or setting realistic expectations. What were some of the other things that kind of you were able to prepare for? I think uh, the ability to sort of quietly uh, and uh, without too much emotion just leverage what you have the audience that you have the best way to ask people for help uh, because we have a certain way how we uh, craft emails and we touched on that in the blog post so that people who want to help have multiple ways of doing that they can tweet they can you know go to product hunt and help you there and uh, develop the timeline in such a way that like everybody can be involved in a you know mm -hmm. dignified manner and we never never ever abuse our personal relationships in a way that like just you know i haven't been in touch for five years but we're like <laughs> what we're like we we don't do that <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i have this great supplement package i'd love you to buy kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting though because it is i think a lot of people know that you have to reach out to your to your group to your community and get that help but i think it's a lot harder than people really uh, really imagine i know i get asked a lot for things like hey can you send a testimonial or anything and it's often this blank slate kind of problem where it's like hey i'd love you to promote for this or hey i'd love you to write a testimonial it's like okay i don't i don't know what to do next right and this is something that you seem to have really been able to do effectively, which is lead people into how, and you had just mentioned how they can help you so that if someone, for example, isn't active on Twitter, they have another way they can help you. And there is a balance. Like, for example, we do have a lot of friends who have their audiences, but we would never do like a hard ask uh, so that, you know, we would never ask them to email their 
uh, mailing list because we know this is a very serious commitment. It's got to be like a perfect fit or to become an affiliate or anything. That's that's pretty hard ask. So you've got to be aware of how much you're asking and abusing that relationship. You shouldn't be abusing it. You should be asking for something that's not challenging to uh, to the relationship between you two. Yeah, exactly. And the people who do want to give more and to do that affiliate, they're going to respond back and say, yes, I want to do this. But on the same way, I get a lot of people saying like, hey, I really want to be on your mailing list. I'm like, that's not something I do. Or I I work with clients and they're like, yeah, but we're booked up for the next 18 months. So (laughs) it's much better, like you're saying, to start that conversation, I think. Exactly. So Benedict, how about you? What are some of the things that having this been your second personal launch and your multiple, multiple launch through clients and stuff that you have kind of seen as this is something that I was able to avoid. This is something that I knew was coming. I think one realization from my previous launch was um, that being successful on, on product hunt and in terms of, of um, yeah, getting engagement and upvotes and likes and comments doesn't really automatically translate into signups and actual revenue. Um, okay. And that was like a tough realization back then. But in, in hindsight, it was totally obvious because like um, yeah, with, the, with the previous product, the product and community wasn't at all the target audience for the, like, for the, for the product. It wasn't, just wasn't a good fit. Everyone liked mm-hmm. it and I think it did pretty well, but like there were none of my customers there. So why, <laughs> why would anybody sign up for it? And luckily um, with this launch, it, it was a little bit different because like, I feel like a part of our audience is actually on product hunt and the part of the product hunt audience is actually a good fit. But then again, with the, with the type of product it is, we were also realistic enough to not expect a huge number of signups because it's like not an impulse buy product. Yeah. Like, for example, a book or a course where you basically say, oh yeah, this book looks interesting. Let's just buy it and never read it. Yeah. Um, with, with user list, it's a product that, well, for one, it's a subscription. So you pay every month. That makes it harder, and then there's a there's a serious commitment involved in terms of integrating the product into your own SaaS application, sync the data, write email campaigns, stuff like that. So it was obvious to us that even if people like it, they probably won't sign up right away. Yeah, I actually have two questions about that. One is, how did you change where you were promoting based on where you thought your best customers would be as opposed to maybe just the best people to that would be willing to promote it right like for example if you were to promote on hacker news everyone would probably link to you because hey you're doing a SaaS, this is awesome but literally none of those people will sign up because it's not the right market yeah i think we went with product hunt because as i said some some of our audience is definitely there and i mean it's there are a lot of similar products on the website uh, regularly, so that was an easy choice. And apart from that, I think we didn't post it on any other sites, did we? Um, Not really. Not too much. Like, yeah. Only shared it with online communities we're part of, mm-hmm. and of course our Twitter audiences, our mailing list, um, stuff like that, where we knew that people that are a good fit would hang out because right. we are mostly building the product for those people, anyways. Yeah, I think the angle changed a little bit. For example, there are some Slack groups that we're part of where 
we have peers and co fellow founders who are cheering for us and we shared the launch like um launch announcement post with a little bit of our story so it was about more about you know sharing like babies born and personal news you know product is launched kind of stuff whereas um with our uh, actual waiting list and with my business list we would focus on the benefits of the product it was more of a commercial amount announcement mm -hmm. and then how long had you had that beta list for because you this wasn't a launch where no one had any idea and then you just like appeared out of nowhere this is something that you've been building to over time i think it was a little less than two years am i right okay. i think we started the mailing list in october 2017 yeah we put out the basic yeah. like website with a sign up form straight away because we know that's collecting emails is Mm -hmm. super important but what's what's best we actually talked to these people and like wrote updates pretty frequently and uh, shared a lot and that kind of worked out i think uh, people enjoyed our uh, honesty and uh, we also when we talk about something on the list we try to first include some other resources that we get inspired from so that people get like the whole angle about the problem not just hey we you know announced the feature like mm -hmm. period uh, we, we tried to be more helpful in general to fellow founders and marketers. Yeah, I think that's always a difficult balance to to run, which is some people want to know about the features and some people want to know about how things are going and like strategies they can use. And some people just don't want that at all. They consider it just marketing spam, right? So how have you kind of, or is that something that you're still trying to figure out that balance between what is given to people as, hey, here's how the product is improving versus here's how you should use the product better, kind of that marketing education versus just bare bones, this is what we're doing. I have a suspicion that people are interested in us as humans, uh, you know, following our story line mm -hmm. in general. It also helps that we kind of supply useful bits of information along the way, but we're never pushing actual like educational material. However, like crafting some is a part of the story. So if we build like some crazy awesome worksheets, <laughs> then we're gonna share them with the list saying like this is this is it. We're gonna use it as a lead magnet. So we're mm -hmm. kind of transparent. So it's kind of meta about the strategy. So we we're not hiding the motive behind like that. You know, yeah. it's a lead magnet, but it's a useful one. And yeah. the same with other assets and stuff. And I, I think and oh go ahead. I think what makes it a little bit easier for us and this particular audience is that like the people who are interested in following along and basically seeing another company build their way to launch and hopefully further along are also those people who are in our audience and mm -hmm. potential customers. And that makes it a little bit easier by just sharing the story and sharing the day to day more or less, you're already on the top of our minds in a way yeah. for this particular tool. And yeah, I think it makes it easier than when it's more disconnected, when the, the, the origin story of the team and the company doesn't relate with the, with the audience and the customer. Yeah. And I think it's, it's true because your, your best customers are in exactly the same position you are, where they have a SaaS, where they're trying to connect with their customers. And so the things that you find and the things that you do in your journey are direct reflections of what they're probably struggling with as well. Now, is that something that you specifically went out for, or is that just because that's where you are every day, that's how you kind of fell into it? 
that's more about our, you know, kind of product uh, founder fit kind of thing that we did want to serve our ecosystem and provide quality tools for them as our, you know, company mission. So uh, they like uh, surrounding ourselves in that community, like and coming from that is a natural like consequence of that, I guess, or mm-hmm. something that we did realize when we signed up for <laughs> for creating this uh, tool in the company. So I want to talk a little bit about the launch and a couple of things that we had talked about before we started here. So one of the things that um, you had mentioned that you did and that a lot of people, I think, struggle with as well is that whole card up front thing. And especially when you're launching, there's this tendency to want to not do card up front just because you want to get people in the door, you want to talk to more people, et cetera. What was the, can you tell, talk about the decision behind that? And then what did that create as an opportunity for you doing that card up front uh, where it might not have otherwise? Bandit, I think it's up your alley. You're the security <laughs> person here. <laughs> yeah, so the decision to do card up front was pretty set from the get-go. Like when we started out, I think it was a brief discussion. I think we had one call discussing it. But as we are an uh, email sending tool, this is like the first line of defense against uh, yeah, and spammers. So if you don't trust us with your card, then yeah, we don't trust you either. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first line of defense. And um, it was also pretty clear that a free trial doesn't make a lot of sense for us in the sense, uh, uh, I mean, yes, we have a free trial, but like, only with a credit card because we expect you to pay eventually. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not like we were gonna have a free plan and uh, you can use, I don't know, you can send a lot of emails for free without ever giving us any, any, any card info. Just because like there's a lot of cost involved in, in, in running the product as well. I mean, yeah. sending emails is costly. Like we do a lot of info, uh, data processing of the events uh, people send us. That costs money, storing that mm-hmm. data costs money. So, yeah, it was pretty obvious that we'll have to charge. There will no be, there won't be a free plan, and it will be card up front just to weed out people that aren't serious enough to to actually, yeah, give us their credit card details. We we had this requirement in place ever since like the first uh, beta days, so we already used to having objections from some parts of the audience, and we were pretty solid about it. So you know, practicing that upfront kind of helped <laughs> to be more steady about the decision. I think uh, Newsy uh, guys have a great post up uh, from, from a couple of years ago why they're asking for a card upfront. And it's even more so for, for an email business like ours. What were some of the things, because this does prevent a lot of people from, from starting up, maybe they're not opting in, they get to the beginning of the signup, they put their email address in and they're like, I don't know if I wanna do the credit card yet. I don't know these guys from Adam kind of thing. What strategies were you using there to kind of make that easier? Or wh- what were you doing to get those people back, if anything? We use user list for our own uh, abandoned signups. So mm-hmm. once they pass the first screen and submit their email, they're already users in our uh, base. So we set up, we, we had that in place, but after we uh, recorded that like 74% didn't go through the card, we were like, ouch, we need to <laughs> be more intentional about what we do with them. So we 
took extra effort. We collaborated and wrote like a very, very thoughtful, delicate kind of email saying like, hey, we love you, but please, please do trust us. Like this is for your own goodness sake uh, that uh, your own emails will be delivered well if we have quality customers. Mm -hmm. And we had uh, some people reply to us about that. So that's that's nice. Part. That's great. <laughs> It's it's always interesting to see the the reply rate that you get, not just the how many people opened or clicked, but actual manual replies that someone's taking the time out of their day to give feedback with. And it always warms the cockles of my heart. So We had a conversation um, about cards and stuff uh, with uh, Josh Garofalo on my uh, on Your Breakfast podcast like mm -hmm. last week, and we haven't even had time to discuss this with Benedict, but maybe setting up expectations uh, about the card up front. For example, in some software, you will have like names of the steps that you're going through. So for example, saying the label, like input your card details on step three, upfront when you didn't even start that would already help them and uh, really i'm about to bring to the table a discussion whether we should say you know card up front right on the homepage next to the cta because there is nothing to be ashamed of but it will help those 74 percent do not waste the time on their first couple steps <laughs> mm -hmm. but then again they are not becoming users and won't get that nice email so yeah right right <laughs> The other thing I think you had mentioned was that you were doing schedule a demo. Is that something that you were promoting to those people that abandoned? It's like, hey, we want to get, want to talk to you about this, or was that something that was higher up on the funnel? <laughs> can I can I tackle this one? <laughs> <Is it> sure. <laughs> Just in the beginning, when I designed the website a few months ago, anyone, uh, the one that you currently see on the homepage, I had this big place for a call to action button, and I designed a custom white, nice white secondary button, which has never been used up to the launch day. So on the launch day, and we've done with everything, I'm like, you know, I have this hidden potential of a secondary call to action, the hero section. What shall we do? And uh, sending people to the features page didn't make much sense because it would kind of disrupt their experience. Mm -hmm. But booking, a, so we decided to use it um, as a secondary option to book a demo. So we had all this demo process in place and uh, we just enabled it uh, from the homepage and we've got plenty of signups. And Benedict, since you've been on the receiving side, what happened to most of them? <laughs> So it was like unexpected side effect of the launch is like we, I think we already had, it was after we, we posted the, the website on product and I think when we decided to put that button there mm -hmm. and of course, suddenly like my email inbox exploded <laughs> and I have like, I don't know, five calls lined up for the next week for demos. And uh, that was uh, unexpected. And Good problem to have though. Yes, but then none of them showed up. I think one was nice enough to cancel, but everyone else just didn't show up. <laughs> so that that's an interesting thing to to look at, especially as you're looking at this like a funnel. It's like, okay, we had this many people come, this many people asked for a demo, but all of them canceled. Why? What do you think you could have done to bring them back? Or do you think they were just low value and no matter what, they weren't going to come? That's a good question. And I think we don't have this, like, we didn't think about this a lot since, um, like, after the first one didn't show up, we started sending out, like, personal messages to everyone, basically thanking them for taking the time to schedule a call and, hey, do you have any questions up front? Um, but in the end, none of this helped. So we, mm. I think, except for the one who ex explicitly canceled, 
never heard anything back. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, the button is still there. Not as many people are clicking it anymore or actually signing up for a demo. Mm -hmm. um, but I like the idea of like, do you have this demo, schedule a demo link in that abandoned signup email? That's probably a smart idea to do that. We do have it there. It's, it's there? Okay, I, I yeah. wasn't quite sure. It's but, like, yeah. can we earn our trust? Let's have a call first if you're really having doubts about us. Yeah, like yeah. That. But with our product, you know, there is such a range of attitudes towards, you know, I want to check out how it looks towards, damn, I need this for my business now. Like, how do we get started? And of course, our best customers are on the other, on that second side of the spectrum. And then for those, I mean, an abandonment email doesn't really save the day. They would reach out proactively, most likely. Right. We've seen a lot of such people as our beta users, and we keep seeing them as customers. They would like, find me somewhere in the Slack group and say like, hey, Jane, I booked a demo. Like, here's more about my business. Uh, like we had one today. So you would really not need to go looking for them and pinging them. They will they will yeah. be struggling to solve their pain. <laughs> and that kind of mirrors one of the things that I've seen, which is your noisiest customers, and not all of them, but most of your noisiest customers are going to be your best customers. And... There, there's a difference, I think, between a needy customer who's just like wants free support and wants all this help and is never going to actually use it, and people who are just so excited about using it and trying to figure out all the nuances and those kind of power users. Noisy, yeah. probably not so much, but like the most excited customers are usually like the best ones. Yeah. 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 Even though we we had our first annual subscription uh, lately, and that was. Uh, that was not not that kind of customer. It was just a quite peaceful um, person business who were doing their business, you know, and <laughs> obviously getting value from the tool. So it's not necessarily always so. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's a range. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting that those... And, you know, talking about the opinion versus data, I, I kind of went on that from my own personal opinion. But now that you're, we're talking more in depth, I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, what about those people? And what about those people? And now I'm like, I kind of want to go into the customer list and see how many times do people email support? How good of a customer are they? Like, what tier are they on? Where does that fall? And being able to find who my best customer is going to be. Uh, whether that's the size of the account or how often they email or maybe they never email, et cetera. So. We've seen all kinds of stories um, unfolding with our early customers. Some of them would be uh, super enthusiastic, but then something would happen in their business or they would suddenly lack something that we don't have yet. Um, uh, for example, we have uh, one business waiting for, or actually a few waiting for in-app messaging. And they're particularly like uh, enthusiastic to jump off intercom and to join us, but they're looking forward to the in-app uh, part to happen so i would also like that <laughs> I, I will throw my hat into the ring for for wanting that feature awesome and that's what and that's one thing i, I kind of want to talk about which is the product development where it kind of came from um you know obviously things like intercom are big competitors but who where do you see yourself in the space like who is your ideal client or customer uh for this product we did a lot of thinking about that, uh, ranging from um, from how we describe what we do towards who do we serve and uh, so on and so forth. 
And we do have a blog post about a positioning exercise that we did based on April Dunford's book. And accidentally, that's probably one of the most popular posts I've ever written by no intention, seriously. Okay. But it just outlines, uh, goes step by step through um, positioning, uh, through her positioning exercise. And one of the exercises is outlining competition. And it's incredibly important to understand that your competition is not necessarily like your price range similar uh, companies that you know. If customers knew about them, that probably would have already been using them. So there is a long range of different competing solutions, starting from building in-house uh, messaging to using you know, general purpose automation tools like Drip and ConvertKit to using um, super expensive enterprise tools like uh, Intercom or Customer.io or something. I'm calling it super expensive, but definitely so for a smaller, a smaller size right. company. And uh, there is a table there outlining features and uh, benefits it bring and the value and who can benefit from receiving this value. So it's kind of an exercise you do. And we decided, uh, we, we discovered by doing this exercise that our features and especially lack of such, for example, lack of uh, advanced visual customization, lack of uh, uh, chat, because the in-app messages that we are talking about is not going to include chat and a few mm -hmm. others, they definitely benefit uh, small to medium-sized companies and they're actually not benefiting larger companies because those have unlimited resources and our goal is to help people get started with limited resources, being yeah. like a lack of professional marketer or uh, lack of 10-person support team to handle that chat and stuff like that. So as of today, our ideal customer is uh, someone from um, similar to our self, maybe uh, a little bit further down the road so that they have uh, time to automate. And definitely not a large company because for those, please go ahead and use Mixpanel, Intercom, mm -hmm. a dozen other solutions, but it will cost you like a few thousand dollars if you have a large user base. That's yeah. We're striving for a smaller a subset of users, smaller markets. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I do think that having a lack of features, a strategic lack of features, can be a feature in of itself, a benefit. Because once you go into Intercom, once you go into Mixpanel, and especially in Mixpanel, you can do anything. You can do everything. And it's so hard to do the thing that you want to do because there is so much there. You, you're just overwhelmed. And so having something... You're not going, your target audience, like you said, is not the 5,000 person enterprise. It's the, the smaller 10 to 20 to maybe 50 person SaaS company who, who has a very targeted goal that they want to accomplish. And you allow them to create, the, to accomplish that goal in the most straightforward and effective way possible. I'm currently listening to a book by Scott Belsky. It's called The Messy Middle. And it's like a collection of uh, different insights that he's collected over a lifetime. So one of the insights is that uh, companies go through a natural life cycle of being first being lean and mean and, you know, uh, simple and beautiful towards growing and growing and then starting to serve um, advanced customers who can bring them most revenue. And that's when younger, younger companies can pull over and, uh, you know, grasp that audience that's not their focus anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're going under <laughs> people who are not 
for example, intercoms and drips audiences because those raise pricing and uh, we're striving to get those uh, smaller clients from them, sort of, not yeah. as an evil plan, but as a natural thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, uh, to be honest, intercom is no longer serving that bootstrapper to probably, what, 20K, 30K MRR company anymore. That's just not they're focusing on things like Johnson Johnson and Pizza Hut and all these companies that make billions of dollars. And so the feature set and the pricing doesn't make sense at the lower tier anymore. And I think it's a cycle, right? At some point, you're going to get so big that you're, you're going to have Microsoft come in and say, we really need to be using user list. And you're going to, <laughs> and you're going to grow up and start serving that community. And someone else is going to come in at the bottom level again, because that community is no longer going to be served. Well, let's see how it goes. I was like yeah. listening to that and was I didn't need to get a piece of cardboard and you know print those words there and like <laughs> look at like staying simple, uh, staying keeping things simple, clean, you know, not too many features. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, and and staying in that niche is also a very good strategy because there's always going to be a space for that. And so you look at someone like DocuSign or HelloSign that huge things and then you look at something maybe like bid sketch which is very specific very very specific and strategic in what they do they serve they don't serve microsoft and they don't serve toys r us or whoever but they do serve the audience that they want that they want to stay at and that is a powerful growth metric that's a yeah. growth strategy yeah, and DocSketch is uh, our uh, one of our first customers. Ruben's been very, very nice to us. He's Ruben is great. All our sales pages as a testimonial. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, I'm just kind of looking through some of the things that we talked about. Um, is there anything else in specific that you kind of were amazed beyond besides the just general success of the launch but something that you weren't expecting to come out of the launch or the product or how people were res responding that that happened it was interesting to observe uh, some uh, requests from not customer people like um, a few investor requests to talk uh, we even had like a TV show request which ended up uh -huh. being not <laughs> precisely it was a Paid placement, paid uh, placement opportunity. So yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we didn't get a TV feature with a uh, household, uh, you know, <laughs> names and stuff. <laughs> and uh, but this was interesting to just see how maybe other companies uh, they process their findings on Product Hunt and uh, use that information to reach out to a company that they consider somewhat successful. I guess um, that mm -hmm. was interesting because we've never been there before. I've never got like, we've got probably three or 400 in the first day in terms of upvotes. And I was like, previously, I was like, why are these companies who are getting <laughs> that many? Like, and then we were <laughs> there and uh, it was pretty cool. <laughs> you, know, you know who's getting those upvotes? Successful companies, Thank of you. which you are now one. <laughs> but it, it, it's really interesting. And you mentioned it, how success builds success. Right, because you were able to get up there because you had all the upvotes. Now you, you have media coming in, uh, you have paid TV appearances, <laughs> and things that um, that 
will help you grow further because people are going to know about you further and it's going to grow on itself. I, after the call, I do want to ask who the uh, TV company was because we had one as well reach out to us. And Pretty sure it's the same one. <laughs> it probably is. It sounded so legit. And then I said, hey, can you send me a sample of some of the people you've done in the past? And I looked at those samples. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I don't want my name anywhere near that. <laughs> One other thing, one last thing that you had mentioned was that for the, uh, you had built an opt-in for this launch as people generally do. And as you were kind of coming up with the strategy behind how you wanted to position that, what it should be, you specifically said it shouldn't be an email course, which is pretty common these days. What was kind of your strategy behind what to give out as that freebie, how that kind of works into your offer and how that leads into the product? itself we have been preparing this for a while so this freebie actually been on the website uh since spring i think <laughs> and generally speaking it really helps even if you're in beta to plan your website as if you were about to launch tomorrow so that you have all these things in place and the switching uh, would really not take much effort but that's off topic <laughs> so the freebie itself we had uh a few principles in mind, and I think they were sometime before outlined by Kai, who's working actually for your company. Yep. <laughs> he had a great post about uh, lead magnets for consultants. So kind of, uh, I've been using the same principles and uh, like advocating for them uh, for for SaaS as well. So it needs to be something with a low effort consumption. So a book mm -hmm. probably doesn't doesn't qualify it's too large you would download it and not read uh, i forgot there there are a few criteria so uh, the other should be definitely related to your product it should be absolutely helpful it helps if if it diagnoses the pain that you're helping to solve uh, so that it provides the value in terms of diagnosis but then they're welcome to use your solution and uh, I think the one that we um, also employed is that uh, doing is probably better than just reading. So we have worksheets in place. Once people are invested, they are more likely to just emotionally connect and hopefully maybe engage with us later. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a designer, just like crafting beautiful things, <laughs> print out and you know they will look pretty on the desk uh, <laughs> just sitting. Because I used to do that with uh, Ramit Sethi's uh, worksheets. A while ago, there was something mm -hmm. like set your monetary goal for, <laughs> for your next five years or something. Yep, so yep. we've been kind of learning, standing on the shoulders of giants in that regard. These are not new, but was helpful to follow these principles. Yeah. And did you find good uptake on that after the launch or were people more interested in the product as that launch kind of what got people to sign up? I wouldn't say we had dramatic, not dramatic signups, right, Bendik? I, I didn't really look into it, to be honest. Um, there wasn't many signups on the mailing list. Um, but as as we said, we we didn't really plan for that as well. I, I remember we had a longer discussion about like, what do we actually want to launch? Uh, do we want to launch mm -hmm. like a done for you offering or do we want to build a email course or whatever and then launch that. But eventually we just decided to let's just announced that the product is out of beta and that it's ready to use. And just don't don't be too clever with it. Just like be very, be very clear about what yeah. we are launching on that day. And so, yeah, 
like um, the, the lead magnet and the emailing list wasn't that much of a focus. And I think that's super smart because that is something that I see a lot of people do, which is they're going to launch one thing, but they overcomplicate it. And it's like, okay, we're going to have them opt in for this thing. And then they're going to go to here. And then they're finally, after two days, they're going to get to, to the product, which is what we actually want to launch. I'm like, well, or you could just say, hey, here's the product, <laughs> right? Like why, why, make that, why make people jump through hoops to get in touch with you and get and again, what they want? Uh, in our business, uh, we, we, pro like, uh, we just wanted to be on the mind of people. And we have like probably seven to 10 touch point kind of sales funnel, which we will never able to really track. And also we don't have the data, but I'd be not surprised if on, on the product hunt page, the number of upvotes was probably even larger than the number of click-throughs to the website, especially because we had um, a pretty explanatory video in place right on the page. So they didn't really need to go anywhere in order to right. understand what it does. So it's all very, very multi-level multi and uh, we're hoping that will kind of evolve over time as we see more signups. And the number of signups definitely has increased since the launch. Uh, the later signups, they are much more thoughtful than those hype, hype, uh, mm -hmm. hype first day. Let me check it out kind of signups. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, a, there's just going to be, and you see this with a lot of freemium products. There's just this huge glut of users coming in just to kick the tires. They might never sign in again, but the people who are coming in later who are being, like you said, thoughtful about it are going to be your best customers because they've had time kind of like where I am right now. It's like, okay, I know that I need a solution like user list. How does it fit into my system? How do I then build it out? And I'm not going to sign up right now because I know that if I sign up right now, I'm not ready. I don't have anything set up. I haven't gotten the, the marketing flow set up, but as soon as I know that I'm ready, I'm like, okay, now here's how I'm going to put this all together. Let's not talk about AppSumo and similar uh, deal sites. Because <laughs> like our product could not be, uh, could not be worse for them. Like it's definitely such not a fit that it's even like, it's fantastically easy to <laughs> say no, you know, to some, we, we get requests like that from time to time from other deal sites, but we're mm -hmm. so not a market for it. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Why do you feel that you're not in the market for something like that? Like the lifetime value, the lifetime deal or the, the lower deal for the deal sites? Benedict, you say why you don't like selling lifetime <laughs> <don't> licenses like... <laughs> yeah, or, or lower price licenses. I mean, lifetime, especially where you guys are, is yeah, it's a good price. deal, but it's not great for us. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, like, like lifetime just doesn't make any sense. Like, it's not a it's not a one time thing we're we're selling, and like just the expenses we have to cover mm -hmm. uh, that that are generated by by people just using the product, we have to pay for those. So lifetime. I mean, we could make a lifetime deal, but it would be super expensive and nobody would buy it. Yeah. Um, $50,000. Really. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like a good fit for like a lifetime deal. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> probably not. So that, that was an easy choice. And in terms of discounts, I don't know. Yeah, we could probably do it. But then again, I always feel like discounts kind of devalue the product a bit. Mm -hmm. And um, putting like the, the legitimate pricing into question, like why, why is it really worth that much when they are selling it at a huge discount somewhere else? Mm -hmm. I, don't know. I don't know. I don't see us doing, doing huge discounts anytime soon, but I don't know, maybe we, we change our opinion there. 
There is uh, one approach that can be helpful when you're vetting uh, marketing opportunities because you can't just say yes to everything. Uh, so there are some marketing opportunities where you are desperate for customers, like maybe cold outreach kind of type of things and deals and others. Like, and you can ask yourself a qualifying question. Is that something like MailChimp would do? Is that something that Intercom would do? Because we're aspiring to be at the same level with them. So why would we go for some scrappy marketing um, tactics? Or we'd rather do, you know, dignified content marketing or something truly valuable and truly helpful to people. Yeah. And I, I think you're exactly right, because it really does set the expectation of the value of your product. Um, I know that Rob Walling had talked about Drip when they joined, inter uh, not Intercom, um, Lead Pages, that they were able to offer the $1 plan. And he's like, we would have never been able to do this without, um, without lead pages. At the same time, I was like, yes, this is a huge growth metric, but I wonder what is the quality of the people is, and I don't know their internal numbers. So maybe that was something that brought them all into that $150, $200 plan eventually. But to me, it felt like a very big shift to the very kind of B2C MailChimp level uh, of drip. Right, I always had like Mailchimp down here at the lowest level, and then it was kind of Drip, and then Infusionsoft kind of, kind of leveling, and then when Drip is a one dollar product, it's like, yeah, I know it's better than Mailchimp, but at a monetary value, what is the like? They're hitting the same market, right? We've been watching price. Pricing is a separate story. We've been watching pricing of fellow companies for a while. It's really interesting to see it evolve. There is one um, one company that we've considered so-called like competition because they were targeting the same like price level and market as we were. It's called uh, Gist previously, ConvertFox, mm -hmm. and they were offering. So we ended up doing forty nine dollars for the lower plan. They were starting at like twenty nine, with gorgeous mm -hmm. design, and we're like, ooh. <laughs> But then uh, this is uh, this is hot. This is looking good. Uh, and then they switched out, and I think now their plans started. And they had funding, so that's probably right. where the price came from. Uh, and then now they started at hundred dollars or something. And yeah. uh, another like reverberation from the launch was that we started getting high volume plan requests, and that made us uh, get together, pull out a spreadsheet, and truly calculate like how would we price for. Uh, some very That's large great. numbers of users, and we actually decided um, that we were underpricing on the on the highest plan. We uh, cut the number of users in twice, I think, mm -hmm. uh, so that the number like pricing per unit became more reasonable as we kind of calculated that pricing curve. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, like we could go. I think we've opened up a can of worms here because I could I'm talk sorry. about pricing. No, 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 in a in a good way because I could definitely talk for another hour on uh, on pricing. So I would actually love to to schedule another call maybe in a little bit uh, just to talk pricing because it is so in depth and there's a lot of strategy behind it. Um, but I do want to be conscious of time because everyone is listening to this. Thank you so much. And so I'd like to leave with anything else you'd like to add. Um, just in general about uh, user list IO. Go check out our website. Go check it. <laughs> and those links will be in the show notes and the description. Um, and then Jane, where can people find you other than user list IO? That's the best place, of course. Uh, and right. <laughs> uh, we, we do have our own, you know, websites and stuff, but uh, 
even on my trip to Twitter profile, I lately changed and put user list co-founder first before being a consultant at UI Breakfast. All right. <laughs> so, so just go to user list. Uh, and we, we do strive to be very helpful. You'll find like true founder insights there, like very helpful materials, templates, other stuff. So you won't be disappointed. Uh, it's not boring. It's not corporate. <laughs> Excellent. Benedict? How about yourself? Yeah, same, same thing. Uh, I'm Benedict Dyke on Twitter, but I'm not going to even start spelling it because it's long and complicated. <laughs> so and we'll link it in the show notes. Just go to userlist.io. I'm on the team page somewhere, and then you can just Google me. <laughs> Sounds good. That way. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, and thanks for taking the time. Thank you for hosting. It's great. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you.